Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Scott Luton, Greg White, and Kevin L. Jackson with you right here on the Supply Chain Buzz on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Kevin, Greg, how are we doing this morning? Wow, look, looking good from D.C. How are you doing down there in Atlanta? Pretty good. It's a little rainy down here, but uh, pleasant, pleasant. But it, oh, good, good. The you grass know, is uh, growing. That's the good news when it rains every day. <laughs> right. And you know when to set your clock to to 2 p.m., although it started pretty early today. Yeah, that, um, I guess that remnants of a tropical storm came through uh, the D.C. area uh, last week, I guess it was, and uh, that was torrential. It was short. Yeah. It was very short. Well, there's yeah. no shortage, though, of news and stories and developments uh, that we're going to be working through here today. Oh, yeah. I love that transition. Nice segue. <laughs> All right. Hey, My job's done. I'll see y'all later. Oh, gosh. We've had plenty of practice for sure. But hey, to the buzz today, it's important to share with you that the buzz today, of course, we go live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time to talk about some of the, the biggest issues, news stories, you name it, taking place across global supply chain, really global business. And today, our show is powered by our friends over at Omnia Partners. Greg, they're reshaping the future of purchasing, but I would, as I shared last week, they're already starting to shape the current state of purchasing. Your take on Omnia, our friends at Omnia Partners, Greg? Yeah, well, I, I mean, first of all, Kevin Heath, uh, you know, he, he shared a lot of leadership at Georgia Pacific before uh, going to Omnia and has brought a lot of vision to that company, not just as a group purchasing organization, and we've talked to Ara Arslanian, who, as I say, was born for this. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't want to have to negotiate against that guy. But um, but fortunately, it's not really an against thing. That's the beautiful thing about the culture of this company. They bring all these companies together. They power up their negotiating um, power, if you will, and, and help them make better, more sustainable deals with with the companies they're dealing with. You know, the other thing that they do is they really are strongly embracing technology because our friends at Verison, which nobody can see, but that's the shirt I'm wearing, <laughs> uh, are doing some work with them to kind of, you know, improve how companies network with their suppliers and even their customers. So it's, I mean, it's a very powerful vision. It's not your grandpa's GPO. Well, right. well said. Right. They're working right. with lots of movers and shakers. And speaking of leveraging technology, Kevin, uh, that that's table stakes these days, right? Well, see, one of the things uh, Greg was talking about is companies can't afford to operate independently anymore. You have to, first of all, you're operating in a global environment, whether you target that or not, right? If you're on the internet, you're in a global environment. And you are you are not only competing with other companies, but you have to partner with other companies. So you have to be in an ecosystem. And and the the you you have to operate like a pack, you know, a wolf pack. Right. 
<laughs> there you go. All right. It's a wolf pack ecosystem. And when you have uh, organizations like Omnia Partners, uh, you know, behind you or supporting that wolf pack, hey, you're powerful. <laughs> so not only is today's show powered by Omnia Partners, but uh, maybe powered by the NC State Wolfpack, my friends there. <laughs> oh, uh, hey, as a Clemson fan, that's been an incredible rivalry going back. It used to be called the Textile Bowl in football, at least. <laughs> but I digress. Oh, um, I really, that. that's true. Um, all right, so let's do this. I want let's say hello to a few folks, and then we're going to talk about an up, uh, three upcoming events, including ones hosted by our friends at Omnia Partners down in Miami. Um, let's start. Let's, let's say hello to Kyle Garcia. Uh, tuned in, I believe, in the West Coast. I think he's in the Seattle area. Kyle, spent a long time. Hope to find you well. Tuned in via LinkedIn. We have Eric. Tuned Eric Canepa, uh, maybe Canepa, probably. Uh, tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. Tell us where you're where, where you're tuned in from too. Uh, Savanish, Savanish, tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. All right, Kevin and Greg. We have Kelly oh, Barnum. Boy. Kelly. Yeah, the pros are watching. We got to step it up. <laughs> the pros are watching. Nice. Of course. Hold on. I'm going to sit up straight in my chair. <laughs> you get the merits from Kelly. Um, yeah. <laughs> host of Dial P and host uh, and founder, uh, managing uh, owner over at uh, Buyer's Meeting Point. So, Kelly, hope this finds you well. Tom Holden is back with us via LinkedIn. Hello, Tom. Must be from Texas. We'll see. Tom, tell us where you're dialed in from. Hey, we say howdy in Kansas too. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> except except in Kansas, it's howdy. Ah, <laughs> that's something new every day. So Peter Bolay, I uh, hope this finds you well. Hey, thanks for your message earlier today. Really sorry about um, the loss of your friend. Um, Peter had a, a friend of his uh, lost his battle with cancer. And he shared with us earlier today. So all, thoughts and prayers with that individual's family, and of course with you and and, and all your friends as well. Um, let's see here. Of course, Clay Phillips and Amanda and Jada and Allie are kind of behind the scenes on the production side. Hello, Clay. Andy is back with us. Andy, you've been popping in these live streams pretty regularly here. Tuned in via LinkedIn. Uh, great to have you. Look forward to your contributions here today. Claudia says, great to see you. Greg. Only Greg, hey. I guess, Claudia. Shouldn't care about the rest of great to see, It's great to see you. We're, 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 we're going to have to step up the game there. Um, uh, yeah, God, come on, guys. We, we need, Claudia needs to recognize us somehow. <laughs> it's a it's a homeland thing. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you can't get there from here. Uh, so. Just don't even try. Okay. Well, Claudia, uh, great to see it's you. Argentina on, thing. Yes. Great to see you on Supply Chain now in Espanol uh, as during your interview the other day. So hope this finds you and your team well. Pretty in Argentina. So, yeah, I, you know, I just I just completed uh, an iFit uh, trip around Argentina. That's a beautiful country. It is, isn't yes. it? It's vast, too. I think people underestimate just how big it is. Uh, it was around uh, Patagonia. Region. Oh, my God. It was just so beautiful. Mm. Beautiful. And probably a good thing that it was just I think. <laughs> yeah. Especially this time of year because you're so close to the to Antarctica. Yeah, yeah, Antarctica yeah, down there at the bottom cold. of Patagonia. <laughs> let's yeah. Let's jump on a plane. Let's go. Let's, let's go, go soon. Pratik. Hello via LinkedIn. Great to see you back here on the buzz. Uh happy birthday, Tom, by the way. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh the Shakespeare nice. of supply chain. Greg and Kevin is back with us. Gregory, great to see you here. Tuned in from uh, the Caribbean. 
Uh, let's see here. Uh, Claudia says, coopetition is how collaboration will be done in the future. You're Love right. that yeah, phrase yeah. here. You got that right. Uh, Rambidzai is back with us via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. Uh, Rhonda is, hey, Rhonda made it on time today, Greg and Kevin. Oh, Welcome. That's early her time, too. So, that's right. yeah, we won't tell the boss what you're doing. Right. And I got Kyle's city wrong. It's not Seattle. It's Portland. I knew that, Kyle. My apologies. Uh, well, it, but we're very familiar with both because it looks a lot like Seattle and Portland outside right now. <laughs> right. As a good friend of mine said from Portland, if you don't mow your yard in the rain, you won't mow your yard. Okay. My father, my, uh, my son lives in Seattle and it was like 120 some degrees. Up yeah. There. Um, so, uh, I don't know. If you yeah. They've had an incredible heat wave this summer. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Fred is back with us. Uh, and, and Greg, the Doc Holiday of supply chain. <laughs> He's your Huckleberry, Fred Tolbert. That's right. Hope this finds you well. Hey, Fred, I'm going to pose this question to you. Uh, our mutual friend, Dr. Troy Montgomery, I spoke with him last week. We're going to feature some UJ students uh, and really some thought leaders. I'll tell you that they, they are bright uh, later this week. But I could have sworn I saw you driving down the road the other day in a convertible, speeding around a curve. So, Fred, let us know if you have a convertible. Uh, and hope this Whoa. finds you well. Really? Yeah, I could have sworn it was Fred Tolbert, but he was not wasting any time on wherever he was headed. Would you call so, him out like that, Scott? Speed, <laughs> dang, dang, right? Yeah. Uh, I hope the police are supposed to be nice to him. <laughs> of course, <laughs> <laughs> Big Show Bob Bova is tuned in with us as well. Ziggy Garcia is with us, and many, many others. Great to have everybody here. Big Show tune, uh, teed up here today. Sorry we couldn't get to everybody, but hey, get ready. We got six stories. We're going to be working our way through, and we'd love to yeah. have your POV and, and, and take as we navigate through the stories across that are making up global supply chain today. Okay. So Greg and Kevin, I want to hit a couple of quick events, and then we're going to dive into the first story. So um, want to make sure we invite everybody to join Greg and I in Miami as Omnia Partners is hosting Connections 2021, right? They do this every year. Uh, and, yeah. and Greg, as we shared, I think, last week with our audience, it's free to attend for supply chain sourcing and purchasing leaders. You get keynotes, you get expos, you get networking. I bet you get some great food is my hunch, Greg. We'll see. Uh, no doubt. <laughs> and a lot more. 400 plus attendees going to be having a great time down in Magic City at the event uh, is what they're projected this year. And we're going to be broadcasting live. Uh, in fact, the buzz on Monday the 27th, I think, is if that's the right date. It could be the 28th. Whatever whatever Monday that is. I'm checking right now, Scott. Okay. If you keep going, I'll let you know. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> September 27th, we're going to be broadcasting the Buzz Alive from the event. Yes. Excellent. And then we're going to be um, conducting several interviews of uh, some of the folks down there, some of the, some organizational leaders down there. So you can learn more by checking the link that's in the show notes. But join us. You know, Greg, we'd love – when organizations invest in events like this and, and you know, make it easy to, to be a part, right? Well, I mean, we just talked about all the value that they bring as a membership, but um, this is this is an opportunity to learn about whether you are a member or not, right? Uh, to learn about GPOs and how they can be most effective. And as Kevin wisely said, how to avoid going it alone. Mm. I mean, I just... You know, as we've talked to them over the months that we have talked with folks at, at Omnia, 
it really makes me wonder why companies, w- unless they're very, very vast, right? right. The AT&Ts and the like, why would you go it alone? Because this gives you equivalent power of that. Um, you know, it's, it reminds me of, um, Scott, employee leasing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you pool your employees with a couple hundred or 500,000 other people and get all the benefits of that and mm-hmm. cost savings of that. This is very similar in a procurement thing. Yep. It takes a village, right, Kevin? Yeah. But the question is, are you going to have some Cuban sandwiches while you're done? <laughs> Darn skippy. <laughs> I know right where. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm looking <laughs> We have, at Blue Ridge, we have a bunch of customers in Miami, so I've been introduced to some very good <laughs> Well, looking forward to it. Uh, folks, join us in Miami in September. You can check out more information via the link and get ready for some tasty Cuban sandwiches. Okay, up hey, next. Scott, have you, on that point, yeah. have you booked travel for that just yet? Not yet. Let's talk about that offline because we may want to go to the City of Fountains before we go to the Magic City. Let's do it. Maybe, maybe we'll get right. a tour of the port center too, but nevertheless, uh, join us in Miami in September. Okay. Moving right along. Kevin and I are going to be hosting our friends from TCU and Esker on July 27th, which is gosh, next week, 1 PM oh, Eastern yeah. time, how digital transformation, not just accelerates your supply chain, Kevin, but strengthens it. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about that. You know, uh, Esker and, and, and their cloud platform really helps their clients, uh, just get the most out of their ecosystem by accelerating communications and being able to deliver visibility, both pre-sale and post-sale. So um, this is going to be, this is an important webinar. You'll, you'll learn a lot. And TCU really has uh, verified the value of uh, their model. So this is good. Love it. Um, Join us July 27th for what will be a fascinating discussion. I'll be taking my 17 pages of notes from this panel for sure. And then finally, uh, really excited about this mini master class. This talk about home run panels, Maria, Crystal, Peter, Rodney, Mark, all teaming up to offer some really free and, and uh, practical, powerful advice for supercharging your career journey, finding a job, uh, advancing and promoting through your job, making an impact. Join us July 29th uh, at 4 p.m. for that mini master class. And really appreciate Peter and the whole panel here for taking time out of their busy day to help folks. Okay. So, Kevin and Greg, I wish I could, um, <laughs> I wish Fred had shot me this in a different place. So, Fred responded to my convertible question <laughs> and he sent me a great picture that I can't share here just yet, but it's like a scene. <laughs> y'all, <laughs> y'all remember the end of the Animal House movie? Uh, John Belushi drives off with his date in a convertible near the end of the movie. He's just 69 Lincoln wow. Continental convertible. That's right. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's what he shared. So he's confirming maybe he's got a convertible. Okay, hmm. folks, <laughs> we got to get down to the news of the day, though. Are y'all ready to go? Yes. Let's do this. All right. Let's do this. Uh, all right. So I want to talk in this first article. I want to talk about this really interesting article in Supply Chain Dive where we, uh, Greg, were revisiting some of the fraud and counterfeit issues that we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, especially and unfortunately in PPE, uh, personal protective equipment. Uh, so this article quotes a legal counsel over at 3M, of course, a major player who stated, quote, the pandemic has been a major driver of fraudulent activity, end quote. Uh, Homeland Security, to address this, 
uh, launched Operation Stolen Promise in April 2020 to battle fraud and related crime. So, so here's a few numbers that will add some context to just how widespread of a challenge we've got here with fraud and counterfeit. So over two, over 2,200 COVID-19 related seizures that could be pharmaceuticals, that might be masks, other things, over 300 arrests and get this 54.3 million illicit proceeds revenues were seized. So 3M, this is another interesting factoid. So 3M set up an anti-fraud hotline in March 2020. Now, you never know with these corporate, sometimes these big corporate initiatives, they kind of do it for for um, kind of- uh, Optics. Yeah, optics. Right. Great. Thank you, Greg. That's exactly what I was looking for. But over 14,000 calls went into, you know, globally went hit that anti-fraud mm-hmm. hotline. They have now for their part, especially when you think of masks, 3M has quadrupled N95 respirators production. They're, all, they're making almost $100 million per month now. But wow. they're still seeing the um, major, major increases in counterfeit 3M, in particular PPE, right? Because that, that brand is a trusted brand. You put that brand on things, and, and some folks won't you know, ask the extra questions. So unfortunately, you know, uh, that quote that's often cited, don't let any uh, crisis go to waste. There's different versions of that quote, but unfortunately the criminals are, uh, are following that same advice. So Kevin, start starting with you, your take here on what we're seeing, uh, in fraud and counterfeit. Well, the thing about fraud and, and counterfeit is that they're getting a lot better, right? Because the, um, technology, you know, is rapidly improving for the good guys, but it also improves on the bad side as well. Unfortunately, the bad side can typically move a lot faster. So you have this constant arms race. Mm. race. And in, in okay. the end, it all boils down to um, data um, and trustworthy data, understanding mm. You know, the, the government has this big know your customer um, laws and requirements where you have to verify information. Um, and companies are getting, you know, frauded because it's very difficult sometimes to get the information and verify information. I know mm-hmm. uh, my company, uh, we actually were a victim of fraud. It wasn't in PPE, but it was in laptops and tablets, where we got a purchase order that we thought came from the government. And it looked just like a government purchase order. It had all the correct information, we, the telephone, you know, everything looked correct. We went on the web to try to verify. And, and in the end, it, it was fraud. It was fraudulent. Um, it, it, it's hard. It's really hard. Agreed. Especially, you know, um you know, founders and entrepreneurs are already balancing 20 things, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 some of these small companies, the startups, are being targeted as well. I, I was part of an organization that also um, uh, was impacted with with uh, fraud. But Greg, what's your take on this uh, this news story where where it's everywhere? Well, sadly, this is a health and life saving based story. Mm-hmm. But frankly, this is not news. We've been dealing with the most unscrupulous nation on the face of the planet for decades, China. And all they have to do is, is you know, if 3M is outsourcing their their uh, manufacturing to China, all they have to do is put it in the, the 3M box 
and route it through different channels, mm. right? Or, you know, however they, they manage this. I, much like Kevin, I worked for a company back in the 90s, early 90s, uh, just over two decades ago, <laughs> that, um, that we made tools in China in the same factory that craftsmen made their tools in. They were substantially the same tools with our name, crew line, stamped on them instead of craftsmen. Mm-hmm. And we would routinely find them that precisely molded tools at f- flea markets and at other stores, um, you know, to the same with, with our name stamped on, stamped on them with much, much cheaper metals wow. in them. So, um, as you know, as Kevin said, it, it is an arms race because look, these people are they're they know they're going to get caught up on and they're already planning for their next level of depth of crime. Mm. Right. I mean, we've seen this. It, it's a very difficult thing to keep up with. Um, I think so, some of the technologies that Kevin works with blockchain in particular um, can help with verification of these sorts of things to alleviate some of this. Right. Right. And, it, and as he said, it does go to the trustworthiness of your vendors. Yeah, yep. it goes back also why companies need to be part of that Wolfpack we talked about before. Okay, when you start <laughs> working right. with other companies, you learn about them, uh, you know that they're trustworthy, and um, you know it gets better and better. It's harder for uh, a counterfeiter or a fraudster to uh, get inside the Wolfpack. All right. That's right. Got to team up, but you got to leverage that technology. In fact, uh, Jenny Froome and I are interviewing uh, Ashish, uh, founder of Banku tomorrow, which leverages blockchain to really power visibility. And for a variety of reasons, visibility is is so in demand. And that's one of the ways we can put a big spotlight on these, uh, the fraud and counterfeit issues we're seeing. Got to battle it with data mm-hmm. and battle it with uh, electronic uh, spotlight, so to speak. Okay, so we got to move right along. Uh, great reporting, as always, by our friends over at Supply Chain Dive. Y'all check out that article mm-hmm. there. Next up, Kevin, let's see here. We are talking about how the FCC is making big moves on what it deems to be a national security risk. So tell us more about this. Well, first, I need to have the back office put some ropes around Greg because this is going to make him jump out of his chair. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but. In a unanimous vote, <laughs> in a unanimous vote, unanimous vote on Tuesday, the FCC uh, finalized a program to rip and replace all Chinese telecom equipment from the U.S. Uh, networks because it's all wow. considered a national security risk. Why? Counterfeits, counterfeits, right? And Congress has already. Um, and this is, this is weird. They've already put money into this. <laughs> they put $1.9 billion to reimburse companies that have bought Huawei or ZTE equipment and deployed it in the networks. Because now hmm. they basically have to rip out that equipment and replace it with uh, uh, product from, from other countries. Now, um Get this, to be eligible for the funds, the firm, U.S. telecom firms, have to serve 10 million or less or fewer customers. Typically, mm. you would see this and it'd be going to the big guys, right? Right, right. But this is going to the small guys. 
Right. Right. This is the. World. I am going to jump out of my chair. <laughs> Good. These are. It's about the time, rural, don't you think? These are the rural telecom operators, right? Um, and why them? Because they had less money, so they were buying the cheapest product on the market, which happens to have come from China. All right. Um, so these eligible companies can uh, actually get reimbursed for ripping out the uh, the Chinese uh, product, and it's 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 high level, right? This is a national security threat, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, Greg? I don't think we can argue that it's a national security threat, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm glad to see that finally, Kevin, funds are going to people who really need it. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right. And, and, um, and I wonder then, and I don't know if you have any insight here, Kevin, on how these companies might be able to sustain that, okay? Because they're going to get this money to replace these, the, mm -hmm. the, the product from these bad actors, but they're going to continue to have to upgrade and expand their networks and things like that. Is there any provision for that in the future? Or is there any way that this equipment is made more economically outside of China? Well, one the, another uh, tact that the FCC is, is doing is that they are putting in regulations for uh, securing the supply chain. And our friends over at the uh, Telecommunications Industry Association actually developed a ICT-specific standard for global supply chain uh, security. And uh, uh, TNS is a shameless plug, has a blockchain-enabled uh, capability that digitizes or tokenizes the mobile equipment uh, identifier called the MEID, mm. and we call that the electronic or enhanced MEID that would prevent counterfeits. And it would also um, monitor software that's associated with these products so that you can know if the, uh, if the software is original software or if it has been uh, modified or, or, or changed. And if you're uh, anyone, if you're interested in the uh, supply chain security, um, I'll uh, have the uh, back office um, put the link in, in the thread. Uh, you can learn more about that. Count me as interested, <laughs> Kevin L. Jackson. <laughs> well, let's seriously, I think I think we ought to talk about this offline because this, I mean, this is a problem that we need to solve. Is Scott, you know my favorite word, provenance, right? right? Mm -hmm. Provenance and the security of these products. I mean, this is two articles in a row where essentially we are talking about the same thing. And we are hearing about this more and more, um, which is why I think such a natural link, Kevin, with what you have done for so long, digital transformation and supply chain. I know you didn't see it at first, but it didn't take you long to, to figure it out that that is an important part of this and not to digress too far right i'm seeing a lot of supply chain a lot of universities tying their supply chain practices into digital transformation practices yeah. and vice versa right because it is so such a necessary component of provenance of security of 
chain of custody of um, of status of the goods. You know, was it turned upside down? Did it did it fail to maintain frozen temperature? Things like yeah. that. That can all be handled and managed with blockchain. So, so the good news. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk. Yes. So we, we've got the TIA uh, webinar in the comments. Sign up for that webinar. Uh, we enjoyed hosting a similar conversation a month or two back uh, involving Kevin. TIA is a great group doing a lot of good work, and certainly they're the voice of the um, uh, – what, what's that ICT. industry? Yeah, ICT. I always right. forget that acronym. Um, so y'all check that out. Um, and then I want to also share – Thank you, Tyrone. Says this course continues to get better. Appreciate it. Great to have you here today. And as I mentioned, uh, Clay and the team dropped the link in the comments. Hey, um, so to wrap this up, this story up, uh, we're talking about the FCC finalizing this rip and replace program uh, via CNBC. And I got to tell you, Kevin and Greg, when I saw this picture, I was like, ah, oh, that's such a pretty view. But there's probably a, a portion of of our global community it may look at that tower and may give it the kind of the, the side eye based on so. <laughs> burning that view, right? <laughs> right well that and <laughs> and how 5g uh, uh some some folks hey, when leave you're 5g is out to get us the planes on your horse you need to be connected to the internet <laughs> that's right that is right but uh that is true i <laughs> i think about when i was a kid when my my great uncle had a phone in his car. It was some so, sort of fancy two-way thing, My but phone. I mean, it was a phone, <laughs> and that was in the seventies. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like we have not been broadcasting over the Great Plains right. and our beautiful hills. And you know, as much as we want to get away from it all, don't we still want to be able to see the supply chain buzz when we're in rural West Virginia? Right. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. Hey, Greg, I thought you were going to say something else. One of our favorite phrases around here. Uh, you can't. Oh, what? Wait. Well, you spill it. You can't outrun radio or you. Oh, yeah. Or, or whatever the version. I guess That's it's right. internet. You can't outrun radio. Right. That's right. Um, okay. I want to move right along. Uh, we're going to talk next about how this, talk about big time brands. Procter and, uh, Procter and Gamble is shedding some light on how they're using artificial intelligence to drive improvements. And what's interesting about this story, Kevin, yeah. for you elaborate more on it is they had this mat from what I was reading, they had this big master plan ready to go. And then the pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden their historical data lost a ton of its value. They kind of had to rebuild <laughs> right. it. But tell us more about this. So, you know, the, uh, you know, talking Dam, a huge company, right? They, they, they have to keep track of so much stuff, right? And they, they are big on data. Because data is used to inform how their production lines work. You know, you can't make mm -hmm. too much Clorox. <laughs> well, that's not possible during the age of pandemic, right? <laughs> but, right. But you need to know what your demand is so that your production lines can match that or you lose money, right? Um, so, uh, but when the pandemic hit, the, the uh, demand for things like toilet paper and hand sanitizer just went through the roof. Uh, and there was no historic uh, precedent uh, for this. So before the pandemic, they were looking at the past, what happened in the past. You know, they had all their data. They created all these algorithms based upon that data. Um, and, and in 2020, they were ready to start using this advanced technology, all right? And then when the pandemic hit, everybody was saying, yeah, we're Procter & Gamble, we're smug, we, 
We knew this was coming. We knew it was coming. We have all our data. We have our algorithm. Our artificial intelligence is ready to make this happen. And then it didn't work. <laughs> because all the data was in the past. And it, and it really didn't um, help them. Uh, they recovered. But, but in the end, they determined that it was all about cultural shifts. It was all about the people and understanding what, what was important to them, right? The algorithms didn't know how important toilet paper was to people. How stupid can an algorithm be? <laughs> but, but 80% of the task of understanding how to manage your supply chain is adopting and understanding and recognizing cultural shifts, and only 20% is, is routed in the data and the analytics and, and the technology. So it's sort of a different, it's a different view. Everybody's saying, right. no, go technology, go data. But you really need to know about the people. Yeah. Okay, that's that's critical. So they, they, they really, in order to solve these real world problems, you have to understand culture society, what's important to them. Uh, if you understand that, then you can use data and analytics and technology to be better. Yeah, effectively. Um, so, Greg, I bet you are chomping at the bit to talk any anything AI for sure. But beyond that, what's your take here on the story from Procter & Gamble? Well, before we talk about AI, and precisely to Kevin's point, and just to tie that into something I've been saying for decades and researching for decades, we are forecasting the wrong thing in supply chain, and that is the fatal flaw in supply chain, and that's why we didn't predict or pick up fast enough on the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. We are predicting items. The data that Kevin is talking about is how much toilet paper has sold in the past. All right. Get ready, gang. <laughs> Past performance is no indication of future value, right? <laughs> you see that stock market. right? But you don't believe it. Right? And, I, and I, am a, I have created this term for using historical data to try and predict the future. It's not forecasting. It's postcasting. We're trying to look at the past. We're trying to look at the items that sold and, and predict the future. What did this item do last year? You know what it did? It did exactly what it's doing right now. Nothing. <laughs> it sat on the shelf waiting, waiting for, as Kevin has talked about, a human being to act on it. So we are forecasting items when we should be forecasting consumers. And that is the, that is the critical transformation that needs to occur in supply chain in order for us to be able to do the forward looking, the real forecasting that Kevin's talking about. So I can go into incredible depth on how to do that. But that is that is the fatal flaw. And that is the kind of data that, by the way, is available thanks to e-commerce and all of this data that's collected on our phones, on our um, on our computers, on refrigerators, dishwashers, <laughs> everything, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the chip that got put in when I took the shot, all of that. <laughs> That's how Bill Gates knows where I am. <laughs> keeps um, but, you know, it, it is that data that's so valuable because we what we are predicting is what 
what we should be predicting is what we will do next. Right. Yes. Right. And, and that is the only way in which we can truly transform supply chain is to stop looking to the past for our cues. Because as Kevin said, the history of what Procter & Gamble had is absolutely useless. One hundred percent no, useless. No, 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 no. no, 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 no looking at those indicators and influencers. It's not hundred percent useless. It's eighty percent useless. Yeah, that's true. Sure. Okay, eighty percent. Eighty percent. I thought we like. I thought we were going to have like a... when my dad says, "More than eighty percent of putts that don't get to the hole don't go." <laughs> um, I thought we were going to have a moment there and, and, a, and a rough and tumble, but um, you know, it. it no, is... I mean, I think that uh, I think that's a good point. We have to shift what we're forecasting. Yes, agreed. Right. When... What we've the way that we've thought of forecasting in the past is. We use this historical data as the holy grail, as the top yeah. of the funnel, and then we try and layer it in with additional data. But I like to think I think of it inversely: the historical data that is per, does probably provide twenty percent, and sometimes even more. It's not it's not our initial go to. If you think about it, it's not the cream on the top of the barrel; it's the sludge at the bottom of the barrel. That if we can't figure out what human beings, some way to predict what human yeah. beings are going to do. We have to resort to looking at what historical data we have in the past hmm. on items, right? Yeah, so it's that real-time data, right? The real-time data is telling you what the cultural change is happening right now. And you have to that has to be your lead indicator. And right. then yep. you can you can moderate moderate that with your historical data. Okay. Agreed. Yep. All right, let me share a couple of comments here from our friends. Uh, Big Show Bob Bova says, culture, creativity, and human intercommunication is critical to evolution. AI is only as good as their programmers. Claudia says, human behavior prediction is the new supply chain challenge. Oh, and yeah. Rhonda, like that idea, postcasting human behavior. I like that, Rhonda and Greg. Okay. So what we're talking about here, folks, just to kind of close the loop here, we're talking about how P&G is leveraging AI to, to really do some big things, and and but differently than they had initially planned, thanks to, of course, the pandemic. So check that out. That is, um, that is a new source for me, Kevin. I think that is uh, VentureBeat is what VB yeah. stands for. Yeah. yeah. So y'all check out that um, article as well. All right, Kevin, are we ready to move right along? Absolutely, sir. All right. That so clock let's... is running fast. Is that clock running fast today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was our, Kevin, that was our most violent agreement so far. Yes, so. that's right. <laughs> so Greg yeah, mentioned, right. Greg mentioned toilet paper a second ago. I believe that computer chips is a 2021 version of toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to stop talking about right. it. And for good reason, because just as important as TP is, computer chips or in everything that that Kevin and Greg just mentioned. So I really enjoyed this article. This is this isn't straight up news. This is one of the um the brand voices that you can find in Forbes, but a lot of times these articles are really good like this one. And this is from our friend at uh at SAP Richard Howells is the author of this article. So check out a couple of these highlights. You know, I like good factoids and this article had lots of them. So did you know in a typical new car you can have more than a thousand computer chips, right? Uh, did you know that in 1990, 37% of all chips were made right here in the U.S.? In 2020, just 12% of the chips are made here. And the major players, as y'all might imagine, you might guess Taiwan, you might guess China, 
but South Korea is all is also in that in that top tier of chip manufacturing. Hmm. Uh, did you know that normal lead normal lead times for chips due to their complexity is already twenty six weeks? So we're not talking of trying to you know disrupt two or three week lead time. They're already because of the, all the complexity involved long. So this article also references Intel, you know, announced that major twenty billion dollar. Holy cow, that's got to be a typo. Major investment in Arizona. It's probably a two billion investment in Arizona. One of the few onshoring initiatives announced here in the last twelve months or so as uh, domestic manufacturing of chips looks to gain some ground. But you know, Kevin, one of the last times you were with us, mm-hmm. well, it was probably about eight months ago now. I don't know, think about it. Maybe six months ago, you talked about God. It hasn't been that long, has it? <laughs> hey, I've got three kids. My well, my sense of time. Ladder, you know. Yes. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> but Kevin, one of the great points you made was um, when it comes to computer chips and and the use of chips is is all this constant computing that goes on, mm-hmm. right? And so the performance of your average computer chip is, is a little different than it was, you know, maybe five or 10 years ago. But what else about this story sticks out in your mind, Kevin? Well, uh, one of the things that stuck out is that like, the concentration of uh, chip manufacturing um, in, in Taiwan, um, in Korea, in China. I mean, I know manufacturing in China is, is being concentrated across every industry. But sort of the opposite of that, there is a move afoot to break up a, a monopoly of chip manufacturing in Taiwan. Hmm. And I'm, I'm on a fence hmm. about that, if that's good or, that, or, or, is, or is that bad, right? Um, you always want to have, I mean, Taiwan has shown that it's, it's a great center of manufacturing these chips, all right? And, 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 and the, the quality is, is great. And, I mean, they are a friend to the, the U.S. I mean, yeah, and a government we can trust, yeah. like South Korea. Right, and, right? And governments that we can trust. So, so why, would we wanna, why would someone want to break up uh, that, that center of excellence? Um, you know, nobody likes monopolies. But sometimes monopolies are, are good. And when you mm. like you, we have monopolies on our electricity, right? Uh, and why? So that everyone can get equal quality in their electricity. Uh, otherwise, it would be based upon what you can pay. Same thing with water. We have monopoly organizations that run water because it's a commodity. But right. Semiconductor chips are a commodity if you like it or not. All right, they go into everything: your refrigerator, right. your stove, your car, your watch, running shoes, soon computer. Right. <laughs> so maybe just like the internet is a commodity, maybe the manufacturing provisioning of these chips should be seen as a commodity. Yep. It's better for everyone to have quality as opposed to having this quality being uh, distributed based upon wealth. Yep. I'm going to come to you next, Greg, but really quick, I want to clarify. I got a, I got a note from the team. It is indeed a $20 billion investment in Arizona that Intel is making. And it's, it's two factories. And of course, they're probably rolling up all the jobs and, and you name it. But that talk about a massive commitment. We'll see yeah. how that plays out. All right. So, Greg. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. That, that blows me away. 
uh, I'd like to see the math behind that. Um, but it, regardless, I think it's it's a great thing. It's certainly a great thing for Rhonda and all of our friends out in Arizona. Uh, probably some good high paying jobs. Um, but Greg, what what's your take on Monopoly or chips or you name it? All of it. So uh, I think I, I like that perspective, Kevin, that we need to think of this like a utility, like a, a semi-governmental organization, yeah. right? Because in all of those situations that you described, water and power and all of that, those are heavily regulated industries by the governments, either state or federal governments, that assure that that monopoly does not become all-powerful, but instead becomes all-serving. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree that that is something that, that would be very, very useful for this. At, at the same time, I, I don't understand, frankly, the, the breakup of the monopoly in Taiwan. That may be an internal Taiwan thing where they want to spread the wealth to other companies in Taiwan, which is fine with me. I'm not, I'm not sure I like the idea of getting much outside of Taiwan and South Korea because with China's One Belt, One Road initiative, right. they are basically creating incursion into every other Southeast Asian country where many people are going for respite from the despots of China to try and manufacture other goods. They're getting into um, Vietnam where people are moving production. They're getting into Malaysia and even Singapore, some other areas where people are are moving funds or moving uh, production of goods. And it's Enough already that China is some enormous percentage of of all of the mined rare earth minerals that go into semiconductors, right? Um, right? And for them for them to control both the the elements of production and the means of production, uh, boy, that sounds really dangerous, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. So uh, I think those are all things we have to think about uh, as we do this and. As much, and you guys know, I hate it when the government gets involved in certain things, but where infrastructure is involved, and I think we'd have to argue that at this stage of our society, semiconductors are infrastructure, as evidenced by the tens or hundreds of thousands of vehicles yeah. sitting in lots right now that can't start Agreed. because they don't have their final semiconductor. I think we'd have to argue that semiconductors are as close to a utility at or or as or you know commodity as kevin talked about that's excellent as power or or water it's excellent point it's it's all out though i would throw in there internet connectivity right Uh, we've seen that the critical infrastructure we've we've accepted that that the internet is a critical infrastructure and what powers the internet these computers (laughs) you know um we'll we'll save it for another show but i think what you both have touched on and greg you touched on there is a geopolitical um hot football that uh with taiwan and china's massive investment in its uh in its own defense um arms you know army navy air force right uh, and some of its very stated public communications in terms of its goals. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of moving pieces here, but regardless, I think some of the good news are some of the massive investments. Of course, you don't play catch up overnight in this kind of game, right? right. But you got to start somewhere. And, and some of these massive investments that do create some, some new sources, new suppliers or, or new um, options there are going to be good things in the, the longer term picture. Now, with all that said, any smart analyst that I've been reading, uh, you know, there's no 
even catch up this year. It's all in 2022 before supply even comes close to catching up to demand. And we'll keep our finger to see if that keeps keeps getting moved out. Keep our finger on the ball there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to share a couple of things here from the audience. Uh, Peter, going back a little way, says, deciphering the sludge. Interesting new concept. Not heard that one before. <laughs> Guess it equates to scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Historical item demand is the bottom of the barrel. Right. Uh, in terms of demand indicators. Absolutely. Aravon, great to have you here today. Talks about how the pandemic world is, you know, you got to have your gadgets, right? Everyone's working mm -hmm. from home, learning from home, or, or you know, just the technolo technology continues to permeate every aspect of our lives, right? Yeah. As evidenced with some of the appliances we talked about. And, of course, it talks about how demand is greater than supply. Um, Rhonda mentions jobs, jobs, jobs for sure. That's great, uh, Rhonda. Uh, Claudia, what about opportunities? Africa, for example. Claudia, that's, a, that's oh, an excellent yeah. point. So uh, that is that is interesting. And of course, China has also made huge incursions in that. Kim Winter, who's also in the stream, showed where China's banks, which are of course governmentally run, yes, um, are are investing all over the world and particularly in Africa. And of course their one belt, one road initiative includes Africa. So um, certainly anything we can do to help support those companies, the, or those countries, I'm sorry, those countries is hugely helpful. And it, I mean, look, this is a whole new kind of, of cold war. It right. is a financial and infrastructure cold war, but, but, you know, have no, doubt, have no doubt it is a war. Mm. And if if we don't push back, they will. As I think I, I quoted, um, was it Ben Franklin? <laughs> there are two ways to to subdue and overcome a country. One is by the sword and the other is by debt. Mm. So um, so what China is doing is indebting hundreds that hundreds of companies around the world to their banks and and you know they'll reap the benefits not only in interest but also in control over those countries and companies and governments mm. yeah so so kevin i give you the last thought there and we're going to move on um no i i think as you say this is an economic war economic battle um and you have to engage or perish <laughs> yeah so, so um spoken by <laughs> right navy commander and and nasa that's right nsa expert so that's right um and kevin can't tell us anything else because he has right. to kill us, to kill us <laughs> right. So, all right i want to share this uh so gregory is chiming in the shakespeare supply chain here says with respects to ai and human behavioral science it's a huge study Still, it has a long way to fully understand the constructs of the way it can be predictable. Human nature makes shifts and impacts every facet of industry, science, law, economy, geography, politics, and the list goes on. Mm. So we haven't arrived. You're right. Great, great point there, Gregory. We made some big strides, but we yep. have not arrived. And um, Kim, by the way, says war for sure. You got to be in it to win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. But going back to Africa. So, so. Uh, stay tuned as our supply chain leadership across Africa series continues. Looking forward to our interview with Banku yeah. 
um, uh, that will be released in, in the coming weeks. Jenny Froome and and the team, I think Greg, will be part of their um, their upcoming August event uh, during I think day two of it. But there's so many, there's so much great news, and innovation, and and investment opportunities uh, playing out across Africa. And Kevin, I think one of your last appearances here, we talked about the the trade zone uh, oh, yeah, and, and the yeah. trade deals free trade being made. Zone. Yeah, continental free trade zone. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so let's keep driving. Gosh, folks, uh, we, we got a long time. way to go. Jeez. Yeah. All right, so we we're talking there about the semiconductor struggles via Forbes. Uh, Kevin, t- talk to us about Union Pacific, and they're calling a temporary timeout here uh, <laughs> on stuff moving from the West Coast ports of Chicago. Tell us more. So earlier uh, this year, uh, you know, we had that um, reporter on the scene down in L.A. seeing all right. the lineup of the uh, container ships waiting to get into port. Old Jamie. Okay. Now, it, it, it's happening on both sides, okay? And h- how does stuff get from the interior to the ports? So from the ports to the interior, it's through rail. Mm. Okay, and Union Pacific is one of the major arteries uh, in the United States. So they they live in this same ecosystem and they see what's happening on the ports. And when the bag is full, you can't put more stuff into it. So the ports are full. (laughs) So the trains are stopping. Right. Um, this is the suspending eastbound service from the West Coast port terminals to the global intermodal facility in Chicago, okay? So they can ease the traffic congestion at the inland terminals. So all the the coasts are full. So ships are going down the um, uh, St. Lawrence Seaway to try to get to the inland terminals. They're full, (laughs) okay? So we're like, we're just stuck. Uh, So... This, this suspension is aimed to help ocean carriers reduce their backlogs, okay? So they, they was planned to start the suspension of rail service on yesterday for about seven days, all right? They, right. they, they, they believe it's going to help the global backlog of, of containers. Uh, now, this announcement only applies to Union Pacific served terminals in Los Angeles, Long Beach, Oakland, and Tacoma, Washington. But, you know, other rail um, hubs, um, other the logistics of freight forwarding organizations, this hurts them. Hmm. So, Greg. So you're saying, yeah, you're saying we got 10 pounds of ships in a five-pound bag, <laughs> right? About this item. yes. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate the explanation because honestly, the article was not completely clear of how this would alleviate the problem, but the clarification around the St. Lawrence Freeway and how inland inland water ports, not just inland ports, Scott, which is a whole different term right. for some of us in supply chain, um, those inland, inland seaports or yeah. whatever you want to call them on the Great Lakes, of course, they're jammed up. So I think that's a... Um, that's a great move by UP, probably a little bit of self-preservation there because you can bet that it's impacting their, um, you know, their efficiency of their rail. Mm. Right. But, because, uh, yeah. you know, the, the issue remains that, that, uh, and, and I think they noted also in the article, Kevin, that it's not 
domestic. No. Right. They're not ceasing to move domestic as they they called it 53 foot equivalents, which are real trailers. Those are 53 foot trailers. It's the 20 and 40 foot PE. Is that right? PEU. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the 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 sea containers that they are ceasing to move for seven days so it won't stop ground transportation that's good it will alleviate this jam uh of product coming from both land and sea to ports like chicago so that should help loosen things up but there will be a requisite impact on the on availability of goods and a seven-day increase in lead time on some of those products that would otherwise move from long beach la and so forth to Chicago, which is a common point for distribution to the middle and eastern part of the country. So we'll have some of that impact, but I've really, I really kind of like this move. Mm. I mean, I think it's time somebody did something to alleviate this poor congestion um, rather than just observe it. And isn't it interesting <laughs> to watch how port congestion has worked its way all the way around the country? Yeah right? From the West Coast to the Southern ports, to the East Coast ports, up the East Coast, and now even into the Great Lakes. That is, that's fascinating to see how much flow we have that we are now jamming ports all over the country. Unbelievable. When you think about the ports, though, so what about the warehouses between the ports and the railheads? Right. Right. So now uh, this cargo can't go into the warehouses anymore and they're probably being held on the containers on the tracks at the railheads yeah yeah what a mess it is a mess but greg i I like i like your point it's uh it's about time it's good to see people taking action rather than to just observe the mess that it is it kind of reminds me of that quote um i don't know who said it but everyone complains about the weather but no one does anything about it. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Um, all right. So let's, uh, we were just talking about union, union Pacific's move there. I want to cover one final story. We're, we might go over by a couple minutes here, here and that's okay. Um, important final story. Uh, the Lodestar mm-hmm. reports truck drivers are opting out of driving, making their money elsewhere where they can find more respect and time. In some cases, it's not even about the money. So the article, you know, drivers are pointing to a variety of factors other than the money getting treated very poorly, <laughs> crazy hours. Oh, well paraphrased. <laughs> oh, yeah, They're yeah. getting treated like shit. I'm, yes. I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I'm reading out show notes and I said, okay, what is he going to do? <laughs> yeah, that was, cr- that was very good editing. Well, the, yeah, editing on the fly. Great job there, Scott. The, the article did use some other language, but, um, you know, crazy hours, schedules, of course, due to so many current shipping challenges that we just kind of walk through. And, 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 you know, there's always challenges, right? It's just lately in the last 18 months, they've become far different. Uh, and, and this is, this is a shame, but this is what we've heard from a variety of drivers and uh, practitioners. Some of these drivers, they're refused basic needs at sites, including bathroom access. Goodness gracious. What, what sites are those? Is that when they're dropping their trailer or, or unloading their trailer? Yeah. Or, or perhaps I mean, I, waiting? I've heard, I've heard that the truckers would get to a terminal and the line would be so long that they would have to wait for two to three days before mm. they can even get into the terminal. And there's just yeah. no facilities built 
for waiting trucks. Yes. That, yeah. Some of that's what we're hearing. That? Yeah, who yeah. is responsible for that anyway? We need to we need to pick up the phone and, and reach out. But um what we we're doing what we need Frank Hurst. Right. Well we're, that's what we need to do. We need to talk to Frank Hurst about that and from Roadrunner. We have we have we, we've got a conversation teed up with Frank, but more importantly, and something that I'm really excited about is through our friend Ward Richmond, we're going to tee up some uh, episodes with truck drivers, and we're going to hear right from what they're experiencing and and share that with all of y'all because, you know, that, there's just some – there needs to be some more professional courtesy, some standard, some standards, some some decency uh, in across global supply chain yeah. here. But also, safe places to park becoming a bigger problem, um, not only for all the normal reasons, but also more and more theft and criminal activity. They're, they're after their loads. Um, and it's not just a problem here in the U.S., but uh, especially in Europe. Uh, in fact, the United Kingdom alone may have a th- 100,000 shortfall of truck drivers. So excellent article there at the Lodestar, another great um, place for great news, great reporting, great research. So y'all check that out. Wow. There, well, if any truck driver has ever driven on the M25 in the UK, I can understand why they don't want that job. <laughs> that is like, that's like a 200-mile parking lot wow. around London. I mean, it. It's t- that's tough driving. And I can't imagine getting caught between exits there, installed in traffic. Yeah. I mean, maybe we need to build these semis more like RVs with facilities inside them. Definitely. Uh, I wonder. You know, Bob Bova says so many Americans are quitting their jobs as they realize they are respected in other professions. And so they can live their lives, not live to work. Excellent point there. And Rhonda, I agree with you. I'm disappointed, as she says, in some people's lack of kindness, lack of gratitude. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. We've seen a ton of empathy, right, throughout the pandemic. But still, in some cases, in some pockets of industry, um, just really poor levels of courtesy and professionalism and just sheer humanity um, still exist. And yeah. So we still have a lot of work to do there. But um, but Kevin, well, I- imagine this, though. I mean, let, let, let's hopefully we can find a bright spot or give some credit right here. But imagine if trucks have to wait for two or three days, how far outside of a yard they might be in an industrial area where most of the people go home and go to bed after five o'clock. Right. Right. It's possible that there aren't temporary facilities built and they're not even on the lot that is the responsibility of where they're trying to deliver. Right. I mean, I wonder whose responsibility that really is then if that if that kind of congestion is occurring, maybe that's another place where, you know, state and local governments or or, you know, often these are industrial complexes, the, the common area of the industrial complex becomes an area where they have they provide those kind of facilities i'm thinking of a particular one not far from my house and favorite sports bar that that could probably use such a thing i may have to stop down there and see what's going on there every day not the not the sports bar right. the, the industrial facility well, you know if i'm going to question your priorities there greg right yeah but i i, I mean i think i think it, this this has become an issue that is probably hard for everyone to deal with. Yep. If, if you think about it. So Kim says truckers rule was in it for 12 years. I'd love wow. to hear some stories that Kim's got. Wow. Really? But, you know, and he's, he's 
Is he an Aussie or is he a Kiwi? A Kiwi. If he drove across Australia in a in a semi, yes, man, that's like off roading with eighty thousand pounds in tow. But you know, I, I, one last thought here. I, I kind of stealing one of Greg's phrases about acknowledging reality but not being bound to it. You know, if I'm leading a company, and you know, we've got all these here in the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got tons of these massive distribution f- facilities, fulfillment centers that have dozens and dozens of trucks, you know, uh, being processed at any given time. If I'm leading one of those sites, right? Uh, if, if I'm a president or CEO or someone that can make money and uh, make decisions and, and spend money, you know, I think building some kind of nice facilities that are upkept, um, you know, bathrooms, even even shower, some, some just, you know, spend some money, build a, a small facility, ha- have that be a competitive advantage yeah. Uh, and and have your the culture of your organization and how you treat all professionals, especially these hardworking drivers that are mistreated by many others, have have that be an important part of your uh, differentiation in terms of your culture. Well, maybe um, some so, of these truck stop companies could expand their services. Yeah, agree. In, into these industrial complexes, yeah. that is a brilliant idea, Kevin. I love it. Love that idea. I think also maybe holding yards where you can dump the trailer and go back, and go back to go a, back. you know, flying J or a pilot or whatever. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, we've talked about the coming uh, automation or uh, autonomous trucking. Right. And these are the, these drivers basically become like Harbor pilots for a city or yeah. maybe even just a region of a city. They can, they can take the trailer to near where it needs to be. It's not going to be less secure than it is right now. Leave it, go home, come back in the morning and and continue the task or, yeah. you know, have some sort of signaling mechanism that that uh, identifies that you're you're on deck. Right. Right. So I was. Yeah, I um, I was doing some other uh, research and they were talking about how these autr- autonomous trucks are going to go from metropolitan region to metropolitan region. So humans will no longer be doing those long hauls, but they will all work within the metropolitan region, as you're saying. But the other other part of that is the um, lower number of trucking jobs uh, that will be be available. So everything in the world has a double edge, right? Definitely. And I I think, I think, Though with the way that the generations are coming in mm-hmm. that don't want to, who said it here, don't want to live to work. They want right. to work to live. Yeah. I think you, you would find a lot. First of all, there aren't, there aren't enough truckers for the jobs that are available today. I can, I can tell you, we've talked to a number of companies that do recruiting or are trucking companies. Mm-hmm. The, the trucking shortage is, I mean, the driver shortage is substantial and it's getting worse. And this ain't helping, by the way, these kind of conditions <laughs> aren't helping. But imagine a scenario where they are like harbor pilots, where they go home every night. I think more people would get into that job if they didn't, if they could do it eight to five, or at least right. didn't have to do it for three or five or seven or 10 days on the road at a time. I think that we might find some market equilibrium there between, because if, if we get things working efficiently, imagine, you know, in, in where you are, Kevin, yeah. you go out to 495, you pick up a truck that has been autonomously pulled over to the side of the road, you get in it, you drive it to the lot, you get, you know, yeah. you get a ride out like a harbor pilot does in a 
in a port. You go pick up another truck, you drive it to where it's going to wait and et cetera, et cetera. And you just do that for the day and then you're done. Then you're done, yeah. Right? So maybe well, it's a good thing. Yes. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I, I think we'll find it, though. But we're thinking about the right things, right? And that's what's good for the people, what's good for the companies, some commercial, potentially commercial opportunities like Kevin. I love that. Many truck stops. They're like truck stop convenience stores, right? Yeah. In some of these closer in areas. Well, what's what's, in, um, what's interesting here, uh, the article spoke to this and I, I just Googled it really quick because um, you know, that the average age of your truck drivers and according to NPR, it's about 10 years older than the average age across other comparable industries. And I believe, I don't know this for wow. a fact, but I believe it continues to get a little bit older because we're struggling to get new folks into the industry kind of going to yes. the points. Millennials and Gen Zs are staying away in right. droves. And and that's also impacting as as the Lodestar spoke to, um, the nature of the profession because as you have older drivers, they 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 have more they're not driving and chasing the money, so to speak. So what they want the the types of loads and the types of um of of work they want to uh drive and 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 take on is different. And then some of those things you're talking to, Greg, that's unappealing. You know, these, these older seasoned um, workers or, or drivers, rather, mm. they're just not going to opt in for that stuff. So, um, yeah, but I, I agree with what both of you are sharing. You know, we're we're going to hit a uh, breaking point, and it's going to, you know, between technology and innovation and the nature of the of of the profession, you name it, it's going to be addressed. It, and it, it's um, and hopefully there's more winners than losers, but it's a critical as we all know, a critical aspect of the backbone of global supply chain. And it ain't rocket science, Scott, but we've got a rocket scientist right here <laughs> right. who can help. <laughs> on that, all right. right? So, so speaking on that, that, that note, as we start to wrap here, uh, a long extra bonus version of the supply yeah. chain. Yeah, buzz. Yeah, right. um, We're in overtime. We are in overtime. I want to share this. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin had a great time over the weekend. So if, if you know, a couple months back, uh, we were honored to have us, uh, the legendary special ed join us here in the supply chain buzz. Who's, who's doing some cool things to protect uh, musicians and their IP in the industry. But Kevin, you were at a, um, a concert of sorts over the weekend, right? Yeah, I was uh, with the alumni of hip hop hey, in uh, Richmond, <laughs> about two hours from where I am, as a special guest of Special Ed. And uh, oh, that was that was wonderful. We uh, I was there with, with they had Chub Rock and Moni Love uh, and uh, Dana Dane, Cinderella's fame, right? I mean, yeah. And uh, I was I was an official part of the entourage. I tell you, oh man, that is <laughs> I was awesome! Rocking. I just threw my uh, rocket scientist credentials to the side, man. I was <laughs> I was hip hop royalty, man. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, old school. I'm not gonna say how old, but <laughs> not that old. No, that's right. Well, love love seeing that, and really uh, enjoy. Um, you know, what special ed was doing, what he shared with us. And then of course to see, yeah. I saw a couple of clips. I didn't see any of the, um, any of the songs themselves. I'll, I'll maybe look for that post-show Kevin, but it looks like <laughs> clearly y'all had a great time and it's great to see. Yeah. Um, I'm right. the magnificent. 
Okay. I got to <laughs> share a couple of final comments and then we're going to wrap. Antonio says, going back to the truck driver issue, this is not only an issue with the drivers, but also people at distribution centers and warehouses that unload them. Organizations do not treat them well. Company culture needs to change. Mm-hmm. Bob Bova says, there is a basic contra, uh, contraindication that may be in. Um, That's all right. Is that right? Yeah. Of next hour delivery and moving important freight effectively. As we relax from same day, the dynamic will reset to a more natural balance. It's kind of what folks are alluding to here. Kim says, hey, open up immigration. Millions of folks, men and women, want those jobs. I don't know where that applies. You'd be hard-pressed to have more open immigration than we do. And, but, and Rhonda says. I mean, maybe he's talking about the U.K. I don't know. Do you think? I don't know what their immigration looks yeah, like. That's a good right point. Now. That's a good point. I wonder if anybody, you know, with the whole EU situation, if people are going there still. Mm. Um, and then finally, uh, I think Rhonda was pointing out. I, I think she's speaking to the average age, age of truck drivers, 50, around fifty-five ish, which again is ten years older than uh, a lot of uh, comparable industries. Finally, yeah. Antonio says, and as you said, getting older, right? Yeah, I Scott believe so. Older. I believe so. I don't have the, I think I, I would, based on what I've heard about incoming generations, I can completely see that. Yeah. Uh, Antonio says, we also need to increase rail capacity instead of just self driving trucks. It is a better way to move products long haul with lower emissions and less congestion on our highways. Yeah. So I did a supply chain commentary on that a week or two ago about how the government is going to try to eminent domain the railways because currently Union Pacific, for instance, owns their rails. So, you know, and, and I can't remember whoever else, Santa Fe or whatever they're called these days, BNSF owns their rails. Really? Um, yeah. And you, they either don't share or they charge to share or whatever. So the, the Biden administration is looking at universalizing that. Wow. Mm. Well, um, there's no shortage of things to chat about on today's supply chain buzz. We've gone over a whopping 15 minutes, but Hey, we're with good friends and tons of, uh, intriguing topics and really and enjoyed walking. That's what's yeah. important. Yeah. That's the important thing. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. But huge thanks to Kevin L. Jackson. Of course, he leads our Digital Transformers series right here on Supply Chain Now. And you're going to be able to find that on its own RSS feed uh, starting really soon. Amanda Woo-hoo! might can. Digital that's Transformers! Right. That's right. Uh, uh, he's not excited or I passionate. remember watching that when I got home from school <laughs> when I was a kid. So um, we also should, should uh, tip it a hat to our friends and sponsors at TNS who helped make that possible. Uh, so yeah. really appreciate what you're doing there, uh, uh, Kevin. Okay. Uh, and, of course, big thanks uh, to Greg. Uh, you can find Greg and I every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time on the Supply Chain Buzz where we feature the movers, movers and shakers of industry, just like Kevin, right here every week. Uh, on behalf of our entire team here. So, so Kevin, Greg, thank you both. No, thank really you. appreciate it. Great. Enjoyed it. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, we'll see you soon. Uh, stay tuned for tomorrow. Dial P for procurement. Uh, we'll uh, kick off at 12 noon Eastern time with Ke- the one and only Kelly Barners to join us for that. But, hey, in the meantime, really important. Hey, do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. 
Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Thank you.